As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, this is The Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview. The Premier League is back and it's match week nine. This is Adam Leventhal from The Athletic HQ in central London. We're back previewing the Premier League as we reach the quarter point of the season. Isn't that exciting? Time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it just? Let's introduce our guests in the studio. Luke Bosher is back. How are you, Luke? I'm very well, Adam. Very well. Uh, Delighted to be back. Uh, How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. It's been a busy week, actually. I've been uh, holding the reins for the uh, Athletic Football Podcast all week. So it's been, um, it's been busy and it's great to be back in this studio. Uh, Jay Harris is here with his little, little black book of statistics. Don't say it like How that. How are you, Jay? Don't say it like that. Um, well, I was going to say this is my second time in the podcast booth with you this week. Yeah. And what a pleasure it was. Um, but I'm not going to say that now after the, that shot you've just fired. It's good to have you. It's good to have you on board, uh, as always. Um, and Tim Spears is back as well. We have shared this studio a couple of times. It almost feels like this. We haven't been away this week. We haven't. Is this we? what it's like to be an international footballer? Yeah, you just, you just never get a break. Oh, just burnout, isn't it? <laughs> burnout. Yeah, yeah. It's burnout. We're like uh, we're like Jude Bellingham. Do you know he played a lot of games before he was twenty? <laughs> we mentioned that a lot yes. recently. If you haven't if you haven't been listening to the podcast, this is uh, hobby horse. Would that be the right? Is that or is the bee the bee in your bonnet at the moment? Is Jude Bellingham playing too much football? And the fact I've that never heard the expression hobby horse, so I think we should go with that. Okay, hobby horse. Is anyone else? I've no? never heard that phrase anyone? before. No. John, producer in the studio. No, never heard it. Fine. So anyway, hopefully someone out there in the ether. Is this has like heard uh, what was that antiques roadshow fix it show? Is <laughs> the that repair like, shop? Oh, repair shop. <laughs> it's a repair shop all over again. The repair shop is back. Okay, let's run you through the fixture formation for this week. It is a 0-8-1-1 setup. Let's cue the music. Saturday, it starts with the Merseyside derby, Liverpool against Everton. We're going to devote uh, quite a bit of time to that on this podcast. 12.30 kickoff. Then you've got five three o'clock kickoffs. Brentford, three defeats in four for them. Only one win so far this season, and they're in 15th. They're up against Burnley. They only have one win 
this season. They're down in 18th. Uh, the Gary O'Neill derby between Bournemouth and Wolves. Uh, we have Nottingham Forest against Luton. Nottingham Forest, the draw specialist at the moment. Three uh, draws out of four there in 13th. Luton, four defeats out of six so far this season. Down in the relegation zone, or just outside the relegation zone in 17th. Then Manchester City, a hapless, struggling Manchester City. Uh, two back-to-back -back defeats. Three defeats out of four. You've got a feel for them. Pep Guardiola is going to be under huge pressure. Uh, I just, of course, they're up against Brighton. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, Newcastle against Crystal Palace. Only one goal in their last three games, Crystal Palace, but they've picked up five points uh, in that time. And they're ninth. At five o'clock on Saturday, it is Chelsea against Arsenal. Resurgent Chelsea against Arsenal. Currently in second to their North London rivals, Tottenham. You've got bottom of the table, Sheffield United up against Manchester United, who, bar that late show against uh, Brentford, who knows what would have happened in this international break? They're in 10th. On Sunday, we've got the Battle of the Claret and Blues, Villa against West Ham. And then on Monday, it is the Premier League leaders, Tottenham, up against Fulham. We will start, though, where the weekend starts, at Anfield. So it is the Merseyside derby, Liverpool hosting Everton in Saturday's early kickoff. And it is actually one of the most one-sided derbies in world football over the last decade. Everton with only one win since 2010. And with Liverpool in fourth, 17 points. Everton down in 16th, seven points. You would be forgiven for expecting that run to continue. Um, due to the fact that it does always seem to be Liverpool winning this game, where does it sort of stand for you in terms of getting your juices flowing? No rubbish. Oh. No, no. Well, no. You just, it's, uh, sorry. No, I, I used to really, really always switch on for it. Yeah. Early two thousands, David Moyes era, uh, Andy Johnson, Gary McAllister's last minute winner for Liverpool, Tim Cahill. You know, some really good games. Mostly all at Goodison Park. Yeah. And um, oh, do you remember the FA Cup replay where the uh, ITV switched off the winning goal? Oh yes, um, I do. Uh, Goodison Park is like a hundred eighteenth minute winner. But yeah, I think Everton have only Everton one win since 2010, which is yeah. home or away, which is crazy. And that was in the pandemic season, so it doesn't count. Um, West Brom beat Wolves that year, so doesn't count. Next, uh, <laughs> was it wasn't a proper season, so yeah, no, not not particularly excited to be honest. But I'll, I'll probably watch it. Let's deal with Liverpool's side of things on this game. It is another 12:30 kickoff, and I know that um, Jurgen Klopp has, you know, that's a big bugbear of of his playing a 12:30 Hob kickoff. Horse. Hobby horse. <laughs> it has to be. Well, right, you know what? I'm going to just... Right, let's do this now. I'm doing this live hobby horse on my laptop. What does it mean? Ah, here we go. Yeah, good. Right, so a child's toy consisting of a stick with a model of a horse's head at one end or a preoccupation or favourite topic. Hobby horse. Jolly good. Right, so as I was saying, it is another 12.30 kickoff. It's a hobby horse of uh, Jurgen Klopp's at the moment. Um, but they did end that run and that sort of um, concern with victory against Wolves not that long ago. Um, I suppose for Liverpool it will be a concern that they've had you know, lots of players, as they always seem to, to have, going to South America, playing, coming back. They all played on, on Wednesday or many of them played on Wednesday. Um, do, do you think that it's a, it's a slight leveller? Luke, in terms of Liverpool, the fact that they are playing a 12-30 and it might take the sting out of the derby a little bit or not? 
Maybe. I think I kind of echo what, what Tim said earlier in that I always feel that the Merseyside derby has a lot more needle to it when it's at Goodison. Yeah. Uh, and when the games are at Anfield, I do kind of feel like, you know, the Liverpool fans, I mean, obviously it's a big game for them, but, you know, and please don't come for me. It's a little bit like Chelsea versus Fulham in that like one side Ooh, clearly wow. cares a lot more about wow. it that's a re- hang on a minute that's a really beige derby this is this is yeah, the yeah. Merseyside derby come on but, but I think this is the friendly derby that is its nickname yeah you do get the you do, it, that's the first time I've ever seen where fans actually sit, sit yeah. together wearing their colours yeah mostly at Anfield rather than Goodison which sort of echoes what Luke was saying really I guess because of the one sided nature of it yeah that's he, that's more he, what he I mean backed up by saying that but in terms of in terms of the 1230 thing go back to that I think it is. I think it is a bit of a factor. Liverpool maybe have a bit of a problem up front. Darwin Nunez scored for Uruguay against Brazil. I think Wednesday morning our time. Well, in both games. Yeah, I mean in good form, but Cody Gakpo still struggling with a bit of injury. So maybe there's a question mark over over who plays up there for Liverpool. But I mean, I'd still expect Liverpool to win and probably win comfortably. Last couple of games for Liverpool haven't gone to plan. Obviously, they weren't particularly impressive against Brighton. They got that draw. Um, they lost against Spurs in very controversial circumstances. So it's taken a little bit of a sting out of their start to the season. Do you think it's been a, a bit of a reality check or do you think that they're still on a on an upward trajectory in this new Liverpool 2.0 era that we're in? Yeah, I don't think it's massively too much of um, something they should be worried about. Like you said, they they lost to Tottenham in quite controversial fashion, and we we've all been amazed by the way Tottenham have performed this season. I don't think there's any shame in in losing to Tottenham in that manner. Brighton, we know, are a very good team, and I just think when you consider how much um, their midfield evolved this summer in terms of you know losing Henderson, Cater, Fabinho, bringing in Soboslai and and Gravenberg and things like that, I think it's actually clicked pretty well. I mean, Soboslai looks looks amazing, so I think they're in a definitely in a better position than they were this time a year ago um, and basically the same as Luke really I expect them to pretty comfortably beat Everton I don't think it's anything we should be too worried about that they only picked up one point from the, the two games before the international break they're not impregnable at the moment and that is their concern defensively um, only one Premier League clean sheet that was against Villa um, only Luton and Sheffield United have conceded the first goal more than Liverpool um, and that is in five games. So do you think teams go into games thinking, we've, we've definitely got a chance here, which is, which is a complete contrast to, to how it used to be, uh, maybe sort of around the time that they, they won the title? Uh, yeah, they showed vulnerabilities against uh, Bournemouth and Newcastle. I remember a couple of games where they were really shaky defensively. Wolves in the first half, Wolves sort of torn shreds in the first half should have been 2-3-0 up. There we go. Yeah. So it's that's just a fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Lost, lost game 3-1. It's, it's a 90 But they had that game. one just for the break when, when Nunes missed, um, Cunha mistimed his, his jump and it sort of hit him in the chest. That could have been 2-0 on the stroke of half time. They had Bournemouth could have scored two or three in the oh, first ten minutes. That's where he went with all parts of his body all at the same yeah, time. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And then Newcastle, you know, the the, the sort of rare late comeback. And I, you know, I watched them against Spurs. I thought they were brilliant, even with ten men. And they couldn't have done much more to kind of stay in that game. So I've I've got no concerns about them, other than the fact that Curtis Jones is still suspended. So I think I'm right in saying he misses one more game. And when he tends to be missing, they tend—he's sort of their Rodri. That's how it's—that's how it's worked. You've anyway. got a sort of real 
big soft spot for Curtis Jones, haven't you? Just looking at, um, I watched I watched a video that JJ Bull did for Tifa, and everything he says is is correct. So uh, I, I was inspired by that to really look at um, how important he is to Liverpool. And yeah, I think he's he's he allows others to play well. Um, his tackling stats are great. He's always sort of the spare man that helps make them tick and recycle possession. Doesn't do anything fancy. And yeah, the, the numbers back it up. You know, he was sent off at Spurs and they lost, and they missed him at Brighton and they didn't win there. So he almost kind of he reminds me a little bit in terms of how he plays of Jordan Henderson, who's since left. In that mm. he is very, very not <laughs> not a flashy player, but kind of gets the job done. And as you said to him, allows you know the more creative players to kind of do their thing further up the pitch, but can contribute as well in terms of attacking play. Let's switch to Everton. 3-0 win against Bournemouth last time out. Three wins out of four in all competitions. Um, Brentford, Villa in the Carabao Cup. Uh, they lost against Luton. Um, are people starting to think that, you know, they've sorted things out? I know there's a huge amount of distraction with Everton about, you know, independent commission and audits into FFP and new ownership and all that sort of stuff. But on the field, do you have a bit more confidence that they're just going to sort of guide their way away from from trouble, Jay? <laughs> I don't know if I have confidence, but I mean, there certainly look like things have turned a, a little bit of a corner. Um, I must say, as the Brentford correspondent, that Brentford kind of gave that win to them as one of the worst performances I've seen Brentford in the, in the time that I've been covering them. But if you just look at some of the underlying numbers, I've, I've got them in my, my, my little black notebook. Um, <laughs> Everton have had the you know, second most shots in the Premier League, second highest non-penalty XG. I mean, that's certainly not, I think, what most people would associate A, with an Everton side and B, with a Sean Dyche side. I think that's always kind of been their problem in the last couple of years, that the second Dominic Calvert-Lewin was out of the team, which was happening too often because of injury. They didn't really have anybody else reliable to kind of come in and offer a significant goal threat. I think Beto has been pretty decent. Um, Arnout Danjuma and Jack Harrison offer a different kind of threat, especially with Danjuma running in behind. You've got Dwight McNeil as well, who was actually injured at the start of the season. He's come back into the side and, and performed pretty well. So I think there's just a few more options to, to Everton and Sean Dutch that were available in the past. Um, and I obviously mentioned about their prowess going forward, but I think only four teams have conceded fewer shots as well. Um, but you also have to point out the fact, I think they've played Luton, Sheffield United, um, Bournemouth, Wolves. Um, so a lot of the teams towards the bottom of the table, whereas I think their fixture list in the next few weeks is going to get progressively harder. So if by the November international break, we're, we're still saying some of these stats, then may maybe Everton are the real deal. If you want a stat joust, I'll, oh. thro <laughs> I'll, th I'll throw back at you that they've missed 21 big chances, which is four more than any other team. So cre creating chances is not an issue at the moment, but who, who does score regularly? I agree that better looks good, but I'm not sure he's a... He looks like a regular goal scorer. And then Calvert-Lewin just can't be relied on in terms of injuries. And if you look at Sean Dyche's record, as is, as is the case with a lot of managers, to coach a team to defend is easier to coach a team to score. And he, someone will correct if I'm wrong, but I don't think he's really done that in his career where he's had like three scoring teams, certainly not at Burnley. It's still so, very, that's a, so it's a big test for him, I think. Yeah, it's still very reliant on set pieces a, a lot of the time. I think Beto's been good, but I also agree that he's not going to be a 15-goal-a-season striker, and Calvert-Lewin would be a 15-goal-a-season striker, but he's not fit enough to, to do that. So there's but good signs and bad signs. That is often said, and obviously with 
with good reason about Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But I think, you know, we need to try and give him a bit of a break and hope, hope that he stays fit and hope that he has a has a run. And but, we've shown, as he did with that finish against against Brentford, yeah. you know, he can he can do it. And Without he's, triggering Luke. Oh, OK. Um, I put Calvert-Lewin and Rhys James in a similar category where they're players who are very, very good with a very high ceiling. Mm but just seem to constantly break down with injuries. And so it's just a real shame for everybody that wants to watch these players and obviously for the teams themselves that you're probably not really going to have them available for at least 50% of your games, which is not great to put it mildly. Yeah, I think there's there's something in that because they're two players that are so vital to their clubs over the last few seasons that you know managers are in such a short-term game looking for instant results that they just end up rushing them back i think we definitely saw that with reese james last year and we've seen a few managers i think be guilty of it with calvert lewin but i think you know beto might not be you know god's gift to strikers but you know he's at least a warm body that they can put up front when calvert lewin needs a bit of a rest <laughs> a warm body jeepers <laughs> creepers <laughs> A warm. I've never even heard that phrase. This is this You've is. You've not heard of a. I've like heard a, just of that a, just like before. a warm body, just like a just a body. That is, isn't it? That's like. Yeah, a, I mean, I'm I'm you know I'll, being a bit tongue in you cheek. A, no, but I know. like. I mean, it's good, but it's. I'll give us. you one one final stat, by the way. Go on then. So we obviously just <laughs> mentioned you know Beto Calvert Lewin etc. Yeah. Neil Mope, who was at Everton for the first couple of games of the season, was there last season. Now at Brentford. Why are you bringing Brentford into? Hang this? on. All right, go on. Neil Mope is on the longest active streak of shots on target without scoring a goal in the Premier League. Not hugely relevant to the Merseyside it derby. It is relevant though. because you've just said that, you know, when Everton didn't have Calvert-Lewin in the past, yeah. well, Mope was the person who kind of stepped in to fill that void. Now they've got Beto who's shown a little bit more enterprise up front than, than Mope. And now Brentford have Mope, so... Bingo. Got there in the end, didn't he? A quick word about Jack Harrison. I really like him and I was really impressed that they got him and he obviously made an impact recently and he's he's someone that has history scoring against Liverpool as well. So it'll be interesting to see if he can have an impact this weekend, Tim. Yeah, someone slightly different to what they've got already. They sort of lost a bit of creativity in those areas when they lost to Wobi in the summer. So uh, I feel like, I feel like yeah, he's, he's a good addition and uh, one that went under the radar, I think, in the summer, but... Oh, go on. Well, I was just going to say on Harrison, I, I agree. I really like him as a player. But one thing that him coming into the Everton team does, I think it allows James Garner to play in central midfield. And he's a player that I really, really like. Really liked him at Forest when they got promoted. And he's had to play on the right-hand side of midfield this season because you know Harrison was injured, McNeil was injured, as Jay said. And I really rate him. He scored against Bournemouth. And I think if he can nail down a central midfield spot for Everton, I think that really, really helps him. Prediction time. Let's start with you. Warm body. Oh, about 4-0 to Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Jay? I'll go 3-0 Liverpool. And Tim? 3-1 uh, Okay. to Liverpool. Right, okay. I'm going to make it 3 2 to Liverpool. I'm giving Everton some hope, if you care. Next up, we're going to Stamford Bridge. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, so let's get stuck into Chelsea against Arsenal. 11th against 2nd. Arsenal did the double last season. Uh, but as one-sided as it may seem going into it, uh, Chelsea might actually be better than they appear. Firstly to you, Luke. You were actually at the Emirates uh, with our producer, John who's behind the glass, as we like to keep him. Um, The last time that Chelsea beat Arsenal, August 2021. What are your memories of that and how different are Chelsea now? Well, I mean, to put it into context, my outstanding memory coming away from that game was, wow, Romelu Lukaku's really good. (laughs) Uh, So Chelsea have changed a lot since then. I think if you look at the starting eleven, even though it's only two and a bit years ago, a lot of the players no longer there. Half of them play for Arsenal now, um, but and it was a, it was a very different time. I think mean, Chelsea were you know on the up at that stage. Arsenal were kind of struggling to find their feet a little bit under Mikel Arteta, and it's just incredible how the two teams have sort of crossed paths really in that in that aspect. I, w- I was also at that game. Yeah, well, this and, is the um, divide in the studio, isn't it? Just just so you know, Luke Bosher is is Chelsea. Yeah. Jay Harris, as we know, came, yeah. came on the show and and. <laughs> confessed to being an Arsenal fan it's going to bring that, it up not every... that long ago so go on carry on it's you were going to bring it up every yeah. time I'm of course on so. the you should be a proud gooner anyways um, yeah so I was at that game as well and I came away thinking oh Lukaku's the missing piece for Chelsea to go and win the league under it was it was too cool at the time wasn't it I just thought they're just going to go up and up and up so yeah like Luke said the, the direction it's travelled in not just for Chelsea but Lukaku in the last two years is not what anybody expected I think Okay, so that was then. This is now. Make a case for your two teams going into this fixture. I'll start with you, Bosch. Go on. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'm quite a, you know, a, almost a pessimistic Chelsea fan. But to, to argue that point, they're coming into it having won three in a row. They played really well against Burnley, albeit it is Burnley, just before the international break. And it finally felt like in that run, performances were starting to, or results, I should say, were starting to match the performances. And that's something that Pochettino had been talking about a lot. He felt the team was playing really well, but just not really getting the end product. They needed a little bit more needle to kind of win those 50-50 games. I think West Ham was a clear example of that when they lost uh, at London Stadium. And, you know, if you look at the expected points, the expected table, Chelsea, much like Everton, uh, a lot lower than the stats say they should be. It's a new new setup as well and it takes time to sort of ferment and come to the boil they're two different things but, <laughs> but you know what I mean um, so we've had the, the Chelsea had you finished making your case yeah no, I think I think yeah. that's that's about it you know they're in they're in reasonable form but I don't think many Chelsea fans are going to be expecting a win okay Jay make the case for Arsenal please I, th- I think Luke just saved himself because he said reasonable form whereas before he was talking about wins over Burnley and Fulham as if that was a, a huge turning point no of course I respect the fact that Chelsea are starting to click um, Mikhailo Mudrik's a player who so much has been written about him in, in the last year um, 
Brentford were in him, in for him at first. Then he ended. Then it looked like he was going to Arsenal. Then he looked like he was going to Chelsea. I was so excited to actually see what he could do in the Premier League. And for six, seven, eight months, it felt like he wasn't doing anything. I think we're finally starting to see some quality there. Obviously, Cole Palmer's played quite well. We've obviously just mentioned the midfield free. So it's starting to look better for Chelsea. But Arsenal are just two, three years ahead of them um, in their cycle. I think the main thing for Arsenal at the moment is that they've not really hit their stride yet. Um, but they've still, you know, I think they've only dropped four points this season. Um, obviously beat Man City just before the international break and that was huge. And they didn't play particularly well against Man City. I think everybody who watched it can say that was a pretty dull game. Um, but defensively... Would you say it was a spawny win? A what? Spawny win. <laughs> I'd never used that phrase. No? Have you got word of the day toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> Would you, you've heard spawny, right? No. <laughs> you? God, no. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> Spawny, a bit sort of like lucky. No, no. no. no? John no, in the... No, John no, in the no, no. no one's heard it. Oh, Jesus. Just what? say jammy. We, we all know that. <laughs> where, where do you get your idioms from? Like the 17th century? <laughs> no, Spawny? No, that's... No, it's not. No, you... Anyway, look, basically what you were saying, you're right. It was it was a it was a win that, yeah, it, that didn't come with a vintage performance. Yeah, but then I'm I'm also speaking as an Arsenal fan, kind of happy it wasn't a vintage performance. It was something that it was a game that we ground out that was a little bit ugly. It's similar in a way to the Man United game in the sense that it took two very very late goals for Arsenal to win. But it's kind of that that mentality to keep going and keep persevering. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Saka's back because obviously he finally missed a, a Premier League game. I know. Tim's hobby horses about Jude Bellingham playing loads of minutes, but Saka falls into that category as well. So hopefully he's fit because he obviously missed the international break for England. Um, but I just think, yeah, Arsenal haven't hit their stride yet. Um, Martinelli's just back from injury. That game against City was his first in a few weeks. So I think they're in, they're in a good position um, to just kind of kick on and keep going. Just whilst I have you in the studio and with your Brentford and Arsenal hat perched on either side of your the top of your head, um, like a sort of like a, a fun party. Um, is Ivan Tony someone that you could see taking Arsenal to the to the next level? And do you think that that's likely from what you're hearing in the in the corridors of power? <laughs> um, I don't know how likely it is. Is the honest truth? I think there's so many factors at play. Lots of people seem to think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to leave in January, but I don't think that's the case. Obviously, mentioned it to you earlier that Brentford are not performing particularly well at the moment. They've only won once this season. And in January, two of their forwards, Mbuma and Vissera, are off to AFCON. Um, so if you sell Tony in January as well, and you're in the bottom half of the table and your form's still not picked up, that's a huge risk. The most important thing for Brentford will be getting the money that they get from staying in the Premier League. It doesn't matter if they get 50, 60, 70 million for Ivan Tony. I think they'd happily keep him for six more months and then let him go in, in the summer. Would Arsenal be in for him? I guess one factor you have to con you have to consider is that Arsenal are already quite tight on FFP. That's why they manufactured the deal for David Ray in the way that they did, where it was a loan with an option to buy next summer. Um, but certainly, he's a player who's got massive quality. He would allow Arsenal to play in a slightly different way. And every team, especially if you're competing at the top, needs alternative options um, because obviously teams are going to work out how you play and try to counteract that. And I also think he's way better on the ball than people give him credit for. I think they look at Tony as someone who just scores penalties and there's a big physical presence, whereas actually his, his passing range and his technical ability are very good as well. So I think he would be a success if he went to Arsenal. Will that happen? I don't know. It's too early to say. We will watch it with interest. Uh, right, quick score predictions from all of you. Luke? 
I'm going to go with two all, uh, and I'm going to go for heaps and heaps of narrative with Kai Havertz and Mikhailo Mudrik both scoring. Oh, lovely, yes. Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Arsenal. Tim? 3-2 uh, Chelsea. Oh. Yeah. Ryan, and who's scoring Ryan's the winning Ryan's going to drop one in. Uh, Nicholas Jackson's going to score the winner. Well, that's been a good chat on uh, Chelsea against Arsenal. And if you want more on this, our Chelsea reporter Liam Toomey has been uh, just writing about the shift the power balance shift between uh, the two great London sides. Uh, and you can read that on The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, we're going to focus now on Manchester City against Brighton. And I was obviously joking earlier on, Manchester City are still a behemoth of... Uh, behemoth or behemoth? I would have, I would have gone behemoth. Behemoth? <laughs> For goodness sake. But it is behemoth, come on. Is it behemoth? <laughs> behemoth. Keep that in. Keep what that did in. I say? Behemoth. behemoth. Right, let's do it again. <laughs> Let's focus now on Manchester City against Brighton and Manchester City. Yes, they're on a little bit of a uh, of a difficult run, um, but is everyone, everyone is expecting them to just sort of kick on. But this is a really interesting fixture between two very attractive sides. The City run two back-to-back games that they've lost, obviously one against the, the mighty Wolves and then losing against Arsenal just prior to the international break. Um Prior to the game against Wolves, they did lose in the Carabao Cup as well against Newcastle. So it is three defeats in four. They've never lost three in a row under Pep Guardiola in the Premier League. Um, what's your feeling on this, t- Tim? Do you, do you think that they will just sort of snap out of it and get straight back into it? Or is there any any concerns for no, you? No, obviously, obviously Rodri's missing for those three games. Yeah. But it wasn't. it's not just one player called Rodri who's a good player. It's the way that they had to sort of change the setup without him. Um, and include maybe two players to control the game rather than one because he's so good at it. Um, but Pep has also been messing around a little bit with their style of play in terms of you know bringing in runners and dribblers this summer and I think they've lacked control and he's sort of reverted back to that a little bit more recently. Certainly did when they won in the Champions League at RB Leipzig. So when you take Rodri and De Bruyne out of your midfield, you, you're going to suffer. Um, they still really miss De Bruyne. I don't think that's really spoken about enough. Um, that he's basically the, the most, the best creative player in the in Europe, pretty much. So um, Rodri being back will help. Uh, I feel like he's their only sort of indispensable player, despite the fact they've got you know quite a small squad and a number of players who can cover different positions. I think he's the one that they really can't really can't really do without. It's interesting you mentioned Kevin De Bruyne because obviously there is a huge amount of focus, yes, on his on his absence but more so on the fact that Erling Haaland is having a little bit of a difficult run but then you have to put that into context Um, Premier League top scorer eight goals in eight games all competitions this season including two for Norway against Cyprus during the international break 11 in 14 he hasn't scored in three for City against Wolves uh, Leipzig and Arsenal 
And it was interesting. I just looked back at the end of last season, only one in his last eight club games for Manchester City. Do you think there's any any argument that there is now seemingly a way to to stop him? Obviously Arsenal did that in the in the last game before the international break. Is or is that just is that just nonsense talk? Certainly because teams of a year of watching him up close in the Premier League and have a better understanding of how to combat and neutralise Haaland. Um, I swear I'm not, you know, on commission by Brentford to, to bring them up every two seconds. But obviously Brentford beat Man City at the Etihad um, last year and spoke to Ben Mee after the game. Well, I think Ben Mee spoke about it a few months afterwards and um, said they, they didn't really concentrate on stopping Haaland. It was more about stopping De Bruyne and the supply to him. So it's a bit like you need to prevent Haaland getting anywhere near the ball um, before you worry about the kind of destruction that he's going to cause. But you also have to remember Haaland's always been a little bit like this in the Premier League where he might not do a lot in games. He might only have one shot or two shots in a game. He might only have five touches in the box, but nine times out of 10, that one touch in the box will be a goal um, out of absolutely nothing. Like I think like the goal he scored against Burnley on the opening day of the season is like a great example of that. It just came out of absolutely nowhere. So he might be quiet, but he always has been a little bit quiet in games. It's just that ability to suddenly appear in the right place in the right moment and score it's a really good point about stopping the service I watched uh, Norway's game against Spain in the international break and it's a very different proposition you know because he just did, we didn't score because he didn't get any chances because you know Spain sort of shut down Odegaard and that's pretty much all Norway have got in terms of creativity so um, there's not much of a secret to it I don't think is there anything that he can do differently in that case I mean, it, he would have to sort of change his style of play, but he doesn't get involved in build-up. He doesn't touch the ball a lot. So uh, nothing springs to mind. You have to remember as well, like, no doubt this is going to be a fun contest, but Brighton leak a lot of goals. Like, they're so fun to watch, but they've not kept a clean sheet in any competition this season. So if there was a game where Haaland is going to get the opportunity to run in behind and you know there's going to be a lot of end-to-end action, you'd say it's probably going to be this game because Brighton are not going to sit back and try and be very tight and compact and restrict the space. They're going to play with a high line and be very aggressive um, and progressive. So that, in theory, means Haaland's going to have a lot of space to run into and is going to get a lot of opportunities. Yeah, if you, can, if you remember the Villa game where they got... Absolutely shellacked six yeah. one a few weeks ago. It was just so much space in the in the final third for Villa to exploit. So if there's if there's anything like that, yeah. um, but it'd be a good game. Um, Liam Tharm did a really good piece looking at sort of Brighton and City and Deserby and Guardiola this week and done some number crunching since Deserby joined. Uh, Brighton and City are the teams in the Premier League have most possession, and they're the teams with the fewest longest long balls basically. So it should be an interesting. Uh, not clash of styles, but they've both got the same style in one way. Um, but it should be a fascinating watch. I'm a bit gutted, really, because it's Saturday three o'clock, so none of us can watch it. It's the kind of game you really wink, want to watch the whole the whole <laughs> thing, like because the highlights will be fine. But you want to you want to yeah. watch the whole game with this with this one, really. What, that's a Y Scout job on a Monday morning. Yeah. Just to pick you up on a word there, shellacking. Hmm. Are you familiar with the word? I, I'm I'm accepting yeah, that term. Yeah, familiar. Yep. It's just you, mate. Me. It's just you <laughs> and your words. Don't know this question out. Shellacking it's just, isn't that something to do with nails? That's shellac. hammering, isn't it? That's different, is it? It's part of that word, but okay. Just wanted to say, okay, everyone's picking me up on my words. I just wanted to just check on shellacking. No, no, no it's a green Just light. a quick word, because we, we did talk at length on the previous episode of the Athletic Football Podcast. I was joined in the studio by Rafa Honigstein and James Horncastle. We had Sam Lee on it as well, um, talking about 
what happens after Pep Guardiola. And obviously there's a huge link with Roberto De Zerbi because he is a, a disciple or a studier of um, Pep Guardiola. And Pep Guardiola himself has spoken very warmly of um, De Zerbi that maybe it might be De Zerbi next at Manchester City. And look, he's got a contract until 2025 and there is a lot of water to go under the bridge before then. Um, but in terms of someone who might be the guy, I suppose... It's, a, it's an opportunity for a little bit of an audition, isn't it, for, for De Zerbi up against City? Yeah, a little bit, although I don't think Roberto De Zerbi will be you know, judged solely on uh, how he performs against Manchester City. But I think it's a, it's a really interesting one because a lot's been made of it over the last few weeks. But, and it would represent a real departure from how City have kind of hired. They've gone for big names who have managed at big clubs, Guardiola, Pellegrini, Mancini... But De Zerbi, this is like this is the highest he's been in his managerial career. You know, he's at Shakhtar Donetsk, quite a small profile there, and he was at Sassuolo before there again, very small profile. So it would be really interesting from the city higher ups if that is the direction they decided to go down. We shall see what happens. It's a long way off. Um, more importantly, is what happens uh, at the Etihad between Manchester City and Brighton. Can Man City get back on track? Quick predictions, Luke. I think City are going to win it and win it comfortably. I'm going to go 3-1. Three, 3-1? One. Three, one. I'm going 3-2 City. 3-2. Tim? I'll go 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. Yep. Fantastic. Is there anything else that you would like to say on this weekend preview ahead of the weekend? Just any, any flags that you want to stick in? Anything significant? Anyone? Sheffield uh, United, Man United would be a good game. Yeah. I feel like that's been perfectly placed. It should be a night game at Bramall Lane. Yeah. That just feels right, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it, yeah, everyone else watching the rugby, so we can just we can just tuck in, tuck in with a nice football game. Are you? You? I, I guess you're massively anti rugby, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I am actually. I was I was going to say no, no, I'm not anti, but yeah, I am anti. Really anti like, rugby. It's handball. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Luke. Uh, well, last time I was on the pod, I I was designated hipster corner. Uh, but we moved so you out of it. I thought. Well, I thought I'd, I'd bring it with me. Yeah. I thought I'd bring it with me. Go so on, I'm going to go. In Italy, oh, okay. Syria, yeah. Juventus, AC Milan this weekend. Oh, nice. it's, a, it's a big Juicy. game, tasty. Tasty. I think. Yeah, uh, right. And in Spain, I think uh, Real Madrid playing Sevilla, Sergio Ramos back uh, oh. against his former side. Interesting. No, my only contribution is I was in Paris last week and completely forgot that the Rugby World Cup was on. Ah, were you caught out? Not really, but it's like it's, it is quite a significant event and it just completely... Bypass me. I can't believe you didn't say Brentford Burnley. I feel like I've mentioned Brentford too much on this uh, podcast. Back, by accident. It's good to it's good to have. It's oh, good okay. To have well, okay. Well, what? Okay. Well, it, jokes aside. Um, Not that much. We've run out of time. Put, put, okay. <laughs> <laughs> close your book. Close your laptop. It's time to go. <laughs> Luke, thank you. Jay, thank you very much. Tim. Thanks, as always. Next week, Michael Bailey is going to be your host on Monday. And the next weekend preview is going to be hosted by Tim Spears. So look forward to or fear that whatever you wish. If you want to get more from the likes of Tim, Jay, Luke, myself as well, sign up to The Athletic for £1.99 or $1.99 a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. The Athletic.